You're listening to Lift Your Spirits with Dina Marie every Friday here at 1150 AM KKNW. I'll be introducing you to fascinating people, fun places to visit, and activities that are guaranteed to lift your spirits. I saw a YouTube video a couple days ago, and that was Janae Kuhn, and she was singing Right Way. So did she just release that video? Because we've had the song in our like library for a minute, and then I saw the video. I'm like, ooh, roller skating. Let's do this. <laughs> she just did the it video. video. But yeah, we played yeah. the song. Over a year ago, she was on the show. Mm-hmm. Did you see her skating and lifting I did. weights? It was really cool. Is she beautiful? Uh, yeah, we yeah. all are. I knew you'd like that video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's uh, YouTube, and you go JanaeKuhn.com, J-E-N-A-I-K-U-H-N.com. Check out her YouTube video right away, and we'll end the show with that song. And she was on my show. She's an author, obviously a songwriter, a musician, artist. Um, and the book was Rainbow. And basically it was about her her baby who passed and then the story she told, tells about that to help other moms. And um, I guess through this thing when I was unable to have people place in activities and run around and have fun like I used to before something happened in 2020, um, I started interviewing authors. And so I got to travel to Dubai by Zoom, uh, Portugal, uh, South Africa. Um, gosh, every, I, it was so much fun, like four shows a month. And I would get to talk to people from all over the world and children's authors, authors um, like self-help and things like that. And then another uh, one of my favorites was Dr. Joe Famulera. He's an educator, and his book is IOU Life Leadership, and he just did a kid's version of it. So I, um, he's just Dr. Joe Famulera. You can look him up online. And then it was Anthony Manna. So two years ago, Professor Anthony was on my show, and we talked about Lucas and the Game of Chance. Um, and to me, it's a spiritual book. So I got a lot more out of it than he thought I would. (laughs) And it's about basic adversity and finding your way back to yourself or God, I guess I thought it was, more spiritual. And so he ran out and bought my book on uh, Amazon, Our Energy Matters, and we started talking every week for two years. So then he decided to make YouTube videos with me with my book, Our Energy Matters. So it's Anthony L. Manna, and he and I did 62 so far. (laughs) I don't even know how it happened. But anyways, he loves my book. He's enamored with it. And he's learned the chakras and spiritual stuff. He's like, why didn't I learn this, you know, when I was younger? But anyways, it's been reinvented and it's been a lot of fun. So uh, interviewing authors was one of my favorite things to do. So joining me in the studio is Dr. Sharice Roth. Good morning, Sharice. Good morning. Who came in the studio today? Um, It is me and it's also my oldest son, Tristan. Who is actually in book one? Aloha Tristan. He's Aloha, playing what, Tristan. what's the game he's playing? <laughs> he's playing Zelda. Zelda. Breath of the Wild. <clears throat> it's a solid game. I love Zelda in general. It's a throwback <laughs> nod to the, you know, totally original is. Nintendo crew there. Well, That's he, right. It's intense <laughs> over there. So tell the listeners just a little bit about you. 
Sure. Born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, grew up in Texas. Went to vet school in Texas. Um, left Texas after that. Went to New Mexico. I now live in Oregon. Um, in boring Oregon, actually. It is not my opinion. It is actually the name of the town. Um, <laughs> throughout that time, um, basically just being a mom, being a veterinarian, um, and then I got in this wild hair to write a couple of children's books, essentially about just how I see veterinary medicine and how I wish I would have been introduced to it earlier in my life. Well, and we had a really, I was at the beach. We had a really nice conversation. <laughs> and you said the reason you became a veterinarian, you said to me, is it was a morbid thing. Tell well, that story. A lot of people think that it's morbid. Um, I just have such a different relationship with death. The reason why I became a veterinarian is because of euthanasia. Um, you know, I definitely had my choice of human medicine or veterinary medicine. But when it comes down to it, veterinarians get this beautiful chance to allow these creatures that we love to die with dignity and to not suffer. And I mean, all of us have lost somebody that we would have loved to not have them suffer. And so it's, it's honestly the biggest privilege of being a veterinarian is by being able to euthanize. And so that's, that's how I chose the career path. And I think more people need to have those conversations. It has to be really real. You know, I mean, I think that the reason that we don't is obviously death, mortality, all of those sorts of things make people really uncomfortable. Um, but it's a process, you know, and, and for some of these people and some of these pets, you know that you're grieving their loss way before they actually go. And so the better we are at having those conversations with each other, it actually makes that grieving process go a bit smoother. And to how much um, investment people put in their pets to keep them alive. Yeah. Look, I mean, I love the advancements that we've made in veterinary medicine for sure. You know, there are definitely things. Um, one that comes to mind is silencia. And this is the first time we could actually treat cats for arthritic pain. Uh, all the rest of the stuff we've been able to do are just terrible for treating cat pain. But there's other sides of veterinary medicine and those advancements of just because we can do it, does that mean that we actually should be doing it? Um, and so, you know, with pets especially, they they don't have the forethought that we do of, you know, go through this 12 weeks of misery in the hopes that at the end of it you'll feel great. And so I have to be really sure and really confident in what that outcome could be. Sometimes we get curveballs tossed at us, don't get me wrong, um, to know whether or not it's worth it for that pet and to be an advocate for that pet. I, I had a friend on Woodby Island, and we had, I mean, the dog was not doing well. And I, I kind of wanted the dog to, to not be put down, but we spent the whole night by the fire, and I slept by the dog, and, and then the next day the vet came and put the dog down. It was like a ceremony. Oh, know? totally. So the thing is with euthanasia, like I definitely, like I had families, especially in New Mexico, that would come to me only for euthanasias. Um, and I think some of it is because of of how I feel about it. You know, for some people, um, it's a heavy time. It's, it's hard. Um, but it's also one of the most selfless things we can ever do for our pets. Like think of how much they give us, like on the worst days, on our best days, the hardest day you've ever had, your pet runs up to you and loves you. Even if you were a really crappy person that day, they don't care. Mm -hmm. um, and so you get to go through this process of euthanasia with them. And I've had some incredible things happen. I've had um, my favorite story, if you have enough time for it. Um, I was euthanizing a boxer, and I love boxers. I've always had boxers. We will probably always continue to have boxers. And it was just, it was very sudden, but he needed to go, and you know, I came in on my off day because I knew and loved this family. The clients in the next room came out crying, 
after I, after I euthanized him. And we all, you know, we all kind of walked out together and I noticed that they were crying and then we were like, like, you couldn't hear me. Like, are you okay? Is everything okay? I, like, I thought it was a vaccine room. And they said, yeah, we just felt the energy happening in the other room. And so, you know, there's those sorts of things. It's so powerful. There's so much love wrapped in that fur um, or for the naked ones in that skin yeah. um, that it's just, it's it's such a beautiful privilege to be able to do that. Well, my books are Energy Matters. It and does. it does matter. It I, really does. <clears throat> like, I could just feel you guys walking through the door. You had some good energy about you. That's how we roll. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so also, I, I want to talk about uh, when you were little, how, how your dog passed. Yeah, yeah. So Ebony, so let me tell you. So I'm the oldest of five children. Uh, this was in Mesquite, Texas. And <laughs> we lobbied to our parents to get this dog. And I mean, had there been PowerPoint back then, <clears throat> aging myself a little bit, there would have been a PowerPoint presentation on all of the reasons why we should have this dog. And um, she got sick. We got her and she got sick. We had had her for a few years. And we didn't know what was wrong with her. Like, I'm first generation college student. My mom, you know, got her GED after she had me. Uh, my stepdad graduated from high school, but that was it. And so, we're in this household. The dog is not short on love, by any means. But when she got sick, she literally had kids making chicken soup for her. Like we didn't know. We didn't know. And so, um, she passed away um, on a Thursday. And what we were trying to do is get her to the weekend. Like my parents were hourly workers. Every dollar mattered in our household. We, we, we weren't well off. We weren't even middle class. And so when she passed, um, you know, I went through a lot of blaming my parents for it. Why couldn't we make her better? All of those sorts of things. And then I realized that our story wasn't unique, uh, especially as I started to practice veterinary medicine. And that's when telemedicine and those sorts of things really started to pique my interest. Because had we known that because her gums were really light-colored, it meant that she could possibly be bleeding internally. Had we known that her not wanting to get up was actually a really serious clinical sign, we would have we would have ate ramen noodles for two weeks if we had to. We would have done whatever it was that we needed to do, but we didn't have the voice of the veterinary professional in our culture, in our household, in our lives to know. I didn't meet my first veterinarian until my third year of college. And so the more that I know... Now, um, looking back, it was really clear that number one, I didn't think I didn't meet my first black pair of veterinarians until I was in my late twenties. By the way, um, that there's just so much, we'll call it a lack of transparency because of that lack of access, and that's really how those books came came to light, especially in the first one, where I'm not pointing out that I'm a black veterinarian mom. I just am, so that if somebody wants to pick up a book and learn about real doctors. They see me there. They see my biracial children there, and they see me in every single page working on a different species. If you're scared of dogs, no worries. On the next page, Dr. Roth is working on a chicken. Uh, you know, and so you know, there's that aspect of it. Um, and really, the book that I think I've been writing, honestly, my whole life is the second book, the What Does a Real Doctor Look Like? Um, the first black doctor I ever met, I was around 10 or 11 years old, and it was actually Ben Carson. And this was right after he had put out his book, Gifted Hands. And I read it. I was, it was not in my age group to read it, but I read it and I met him. We went to his book signing. And how old were you then? Um, about 11. Okay. Yeah. And he said to me, you have the hands of a surgeon. Now, I don't know if he said that to every kid. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it stuck with me. And then suddenly, 
because I saw this person that looked like me that grew up very similar to me now being called doctor it made it possible and so in book two what does a real doctor look like it's Kaylin and Kylie Uh, they are actually the daughters of my cousin who is basically like my sister Um, going through and learning with me that doctors look like all of us it's not just the physical traits it's fat fat skinny tall short um, differing abilities Um, and the, the coolest part about that is that I actually have parents that will message me Um, my child wanted to be a veterinarian and he's never actually seen a doctor depicted in a wheelchair oh by the way he has spina bifida Mm -hmm. you know and it's just this beautiful way of being representative and and knowing that all doctors look like all of us and the better that we do at that goal the better care we can get for people and and pets and animals in general it's almost like you're a channel for some good energy, some juju. Because just talking to you, um, you're bringing up, like, when my pets passed, uh, we weren't invited to say goodbye from my parents. Uh, and oddly enough, I was driving by the um, vets and saw them crying outside. But they still didn't go home and talk to me about it because I guess they wanted to keep it from I don't know. How do you keep the dog? It's hard. <laughs> I think it's hard. Uh, and, you know, there's there's definitely lots of different types of parents in the world, right, And that – I don't ever fault people for not wanting to talk about death. And, and I honestly think they probably thought it was going to be easier for you to not have to experience the act of saying goodbye. Um, but I think that we, we know now the beauty that can happen in those ceremonies and in that closure that they probably just didn't know. And, and I, I cried a lot. Just a normal, normal kid cried a lot. <laughs> Maybe not. Now I'm thinking back, they probably didn't want me to cry for two weeks. You well, know, whatever. Yeah, and you know what I mean. I do. I do think that um, it very much so puts people up against their own mortality when they have to make that decision for a pet. Um, and sometimes they would just rather not, especially with their child, have that conversation. So I see, like hospice is like a, a midwife for the other side. Absolutely. So you're like that for pets. Oh, totally. And we do actually have pet hospice specialists now who just hold such a special place in my heart because it is this aspect of, you know, there's there's two parts to hospice, right? It's, it's helping that person or that pet transition over, but it's also helping the people that they love be prepared as best you can for that transition too. Um, and so, yeah, their job is amazing. You ever seen dog angels in the room? <laughs> I haven't seen dog angels in the room, um, but I did have this lady tell me that she saw her son so she, the, the dog belonged to her son, and he had passed away in Afghanistan. And she said, you know, she called me the next day, and she's like, Dr. Roth, I saw, I saw him standing in the front yard with a leash, but the dog wasn't there. And I was like, I don't know who we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so when she got into it, like, we both ended up just sobbing on the phone because she was like, he was in the last outfit I saw him in. Wow. He was so handsome. He was holding his leash. Um, and he, it was just like he was waiting for him to get there. And, and the beauty is that, too, now she knows he's, he's good, too. Exactly. Wow. You know, and now they're, and he was waiting for him. And so it's, it's really interesting just the level of, of connectivity and the things that we can't explain that happen both around pets. And I think so much of it is just that concentration of love, right? That, that's really one of the few places we can experience that truly unconditional love. Oh, gosh. I'm pet-sitting. Okay, so I, I want to go back to Hawaii, so I'm doing these random jobs so I can just take off. You get a job there and say, I'm going, I'm not coming back. They usually don't like that, right? So anyways, I'm pet sitting and I've sp- spent the night 
found this beautiful um, in this house over the water and all the stuff with these the, the dogs and stuff. But it's it's so um, the animal communication that goes on. If you're really paying attention to your animals, because I think every day if you're going home and back and forth to work, you're, you're not paying much as attention. Sure. But if you're sitting there actually being paid to visit with animals, you have the time. Oh, gosh, that cat was so jealous because we walk three times a day with the dog. Mm. That cat was so mad. She was really angry. I even put it in the notes. I think the cat's jealous. And then, sure enough, that cat got out and partied all night. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and the next day, that cat's like, I love you. I love you so much, you know, because it's an indoor cat. But the whole time, it's just, I just love you now. Thank Aww. you for letting me out. Oh, I was up all night waiting I bet for you like were. a teenager. I was like a teenager. Where have you been? And she's like, I'm having a party. But, yeah, animals are, are so amazing. Yeah, but we're super busy, like I said, and it's really been fun to just get to sit with an animal for an hour and get to know them. Yeah, absolutely. And you get to do that all day. Pretty much. Yeah, it depends. Um, you know, certainly, I mean, I still work re- relief. Um, my, my job now is primarily um, executive decision-making strategies for... Of, of um, what? Um, so I'm chief medical, chief veterinary officer of Fuzzy Pet Health. And so we do pet telemedicine. And um, so I do still like working relief shifts because I love I love seeing pets. I love doing all of those things. And so um, it's always really interesting to be able to start to connect that, that those puzzle pieces together. Of, you know what? Actually, this is something that doesn't need to come see me in a clinic. Next time you can just do a telemedicine appointment for this. And it really helps um, to make sure that the right pets are getting in front of veterinarians. There's a huge veterinarian shortage. Um, and veterinary professionals in general, our technicians, our nurses are leaving um, the industry because of all sorts of reasons, um, not being paid enough, um, just the emotional toll that this, that these roles can take for us. And so really right now, my primary goal is how do we get as much care as possible for these pets in the right way? So if you just have fleas, like you don't have to go into a whole hospital, take time off work, do all of those sorts of things um, just to get your pet on flea prevention. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, a, a safe one, an effective one that's not some over-the-counter stuff that isn't going to do the job and may not actually even be safe. Uh, So yeah, it's great to start seeing these pets that have never had access. Now, are they on Zoom and you're looking at the dog through Zoom? Um, We have our own video platform and I have a team of doctors that does it, but it is by video. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's, if it's something that doesn't require a prescription, um, a classic one is, I think my dog has a tick. And then we go, actually, that's a nipple. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking about making a T-shirt that says "Boy Dogs Have Nipples Too," <laughs> okay. because like people will try and take them off, and then we get oh, that chance gosh. to educate and say, "Hey, actually, that belongs there. Yeah. Here's why you haven't noticed it." Um, but it brings me back to the story with Ebony, right? We're injecting veterinary knowledge and veterinary professionals into households that have literally never had it before, and I think that's great because it never even crossed my mind that. This technology, how how helpful it is. Absolutely. And time, you know, driving into the studio. I could be in my pajamas on Zoom. You totally could be. <laughs> but there's something about getting up really early and driving the empty highways and, and, and meeting people in person. So, but yeah, there's times where it's really important that we have this technology. Absolutely. Yeah. And you get to use it. So a little bit more about the books. Uh, how can people get these books? So you can get them on my Shopify store. They are also available, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Target.com, wherever you get books, you will probably find them there. Um, 
And really, like I said, the, the point of book one is it highlights the similarities between human doctors and veterinarians. Um, very often veterinarians get this, oh, why didn't you become a real doctor? Um, which is bizarre and frankly infuriating because it costs the same <laughs> to go to veterinary school and medical school, human medical school. Um, and so it just goes through um, at a child level. Tristan and Cooper, my sons, um, go through and explain to their friend why their mom is a real doctor. And it's deciding to do surgery, being able to write prescriptions, checking on that pet post-op and seeing how they're doing. Um, and then book two, like I said, it's Kaylin and Kylie. They um, are trying to envision themselves in the role that they want to be. And so Kaylin asks their sister, do I look like a doctor? And Kylie goes, I don't know. You know. And so they have this whole conversation with each other between sisters, right? All of those weird conversations that you have with your siblings. Um, and then they come out and I happen to be getting my hair done by their mom. And um, they are able to talk to me and ask me questions about what a real doctor looks like. And by the end of it, I think the most important, the most valuable piece of the book is at the end, they understand and can actually see themselves in that white coat or in that jumper to be a veterinarian, a large animal veterinarian. Um, but they understand that doctors look like all of us. And I love that you said see it because I work with the chakra, the energy work, and it is important that you see it. You have to see it. Uh, uh, for instance, my I wanted to be a dancer. And my mom said, you can never be a dancer because your legs are too short or chubby or whatever they were and I just saw myself not see me being a dancer right so painting pictures for kids you know optim optimism hope you can do anything you want That's and right. I know you must have that well and it's it's so much about just you know there's this aspect the whole world opens up for you if you can get a glimpse of what you want just like somebody can take that vision away by saying you can't do it and so by going through these books these children look like a lot of the children that are picking up these books and need this message. But I also think it's also really relevant for people that aren't brown, right? And that maybe they're suffering with a different ability. Maybe they feel like they're too tall or they're too short or they're too fat or too skinny or all of those sorts of things. Um, you know, I, I think it all applies. Well, and I became an aerobic teacher for 14 years, and I right danced on. around with groups of women to Motley Crue. Nice. <laughs> love like, it. Dina, we love you, but your music at 6 in the morning is just <laughs> too much. But, you know, and, and today I still drag people on the dance floor. Dancing has been my, my passion, you know, and it's like, yeah, I, I, I was a hypnotherapist, and, oh. and it was so much fun to help people repaint or focus or have that vision again. And they do lose weight, and they do feel better, and they are stronger, and so, yeah, I, I just I love the way you say things. Oh, thank you. And I can just tell your 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 energy is full and, and you're you're wide open. And um, what's with this entrepreneur magazine top 100 women <laughs> of 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 the year? What is it? Yeah, <laughs> um, it's honestly it's just it's. I don't know. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, so Entrepreneur Magazine selected me to be in the top 100 women of influence, primarily for my work in veterinary telemedicine. Um, and truly, you know, the the platform that I work with on fuzzy.com is that every pet deserves to get care. And that I no longer believe that pets are a privilege. A lot, for a very long time, people started to think that um, or were thinking that pets were a privilege. And now I think we know better. We know about the human-animal bond. We know the beauty of having a pet. It doesn't have to be a dog or a cat. It can be a freaking goldfish if you wanted to. Lowers your blood pressure, decreases your chances of stroke, decreases your chances of suicide, 
because you would have something to come home and take care of that loves you unconditionally. And so by saying that a pet is a privilege, you're saying that those people that may not be able to afford normal things that we see as normal in our households don't deserve those health aspects, which is garbage, right? We also know uh, we have a homeless population of, of pet parents that use Fuzzy as well because it's app-based. Uh, it's around 60% of the homeless population that has access to cellular phone or Wi-Fi. And so they can get on and talk to my team about their pets. Awesome. And it's around 40% of the homeless population that has a pet. And so, you know, some of them, it's so great. They come through and they say, oh, well, you know, he's a stray and I'm a stray. So we just hang out together and, and we share our food and all of those sorts of things. And you get to see just the ins and outs of such, such a beauty in the human-animal bond. In my book, that's a prescription. Is the sacral chakra your heart chakra is to get a pet. I mean, oh, I love it. it opens your heart and it keeps you connected. It does. Especially if people have been abused or hurt in their lifetime, you know. Well, vets, when they come back, they do a lot better with animals than people. Absolutely, they do. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think so much of it is that pets are who they say they are. You know, they, they just are who they are. They're not deceptive. They, they aren't mean. If they do have something that feels like aggression, it's because they're scared, too. And they're talking to you about something. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> it's been such a joy. Thank um, you Sharice so much. Roth, Dr. Sharice Roth, and you will be back on the show. Oh, yay. <laughs> you have to come back and, on the train. Yes, I will. Awesome. One more, one more way where people can get out to you one more time and reach you. Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram, Sharice.Roth, C-H-E-R-I-C-E dot R-O, T as in Tom, H as in Henry. I'm also on Facebook under that same thing. Um, also at TikTok, at that Dr. Roth. The word separated by underscore. Uh, and you so can go to Entrepreneur Magazine. You can also see me <laughs> a picture of me. Um, I'm only a few pictures away from Kim K and J-Lo. I know. <laughs> I did not make the cover. However, um, no, it's been I really cool. I still call that a win. No, thank oh, yeah. you. Yeah, still when a you're win. scrolling and you're like the fifth person or so, I'm like, dang. I don't think I'll ever be that close to them ever. I'll take it. There's <laughs> never you been are. a veterinarian on there before, which Love. is also really kind of crazy uh, and cool. So. Well, you're Super a shining, shining star. You'll, you'll be writing more books. And uh, thank you for being with me. Thank you so much for having us. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. Calling all architects, builders, homeowners, real estate professionals, or eco-conscious people. We invite you to the Northwest Green Building Slam at Seattle Town Hall, October 29th, 5 to 10 p.m with tickets available for in-person or live streaming. The Slam is a Northwest Eco-Building Guild showcase featuring a series of innovative and compelling stories of green building in the Pacific Northwest, designed to inspire and engage. This year's event features the crowd favorite Slam-style inspiration with 10 speakers for 10 minutes with 10 slides each. Award-winning green builder Martha Rose will set the mood with a look back at some of the Northwest's progressive green building mentors. We expect this to be a sold-out event, so don't delay getting your tickets at northwestgreen.org forward slash ticketing. That's northwestgreen.org forward slash ticketing. Hope to see you there. 
Lift Your Spirits with me, Dina Marie, on Whidbey Island. I'll be a tour guide for your spirit and a travel agent for your soul. Retreats include a healing session for your body, your mind, and your spirit. You'll receive a Reiki session plus a chakra reading, experience a labyrinth in the woods, take a walk on the beach, and enjoy downtown Langley with me. Retreats are customized for you or a group of friends. You can visit dina-marie.com to connect with me today. Island time is waiting for you. Are you in need of some self-rejuvenation? Give yourself the gift of relaxation and better health. The Energy Genesis is a safe 360-degree healing chamber that uses a pleasant combination of light and sound frequencies to create a resonance of peace and tranquility. Within minutes, your body eases into a deep state of rest and begins to gently heal and reconnect. To learn more about Energy Genesis Therapy and all of its benefits, visit their website at tanyaswan.com. Lift your spirits with us every Friday at 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on 1150 a.m. KKNW Seattle. We will be introducing you to fascinating people, fun places to visit, and activities are guaranteed to lift your spirits. Miss a show? No worries, you can visit 1150kknw.com and click on our archive page or like Lift Your Spirits with Dina Marie on Facebook for upcoming guests and events. To contact me, Dina Marie, visit dina-marie.com. Thank you so much for listening. Alternative Talk, 1150 on AM, 98.9 HD3 on HD, 1150kknw.com on the web. Thank you for joining us this morning. Okay, well, we're doing some children's authors today, which I love visiting with authors. I get to travel the world and, and, and know where they're, what they're up to and what they're doing. And today is joining me is Chris Jordan. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being on the show. So I have a grandson named Ethan, and Benny has a son, twin son. One is Ethan. Correct. And what's the name of your son? Ethan. <laughs> it's a party. Great Ethan. setup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Phenomenal. So Ethan's <laughs> truck learning adventures. I'm like, I gotta go have uh, you on the show and talk about your your book. But first of all, I want to talk about writing books, and I want to ask you what what who inspired you to write. It was my high school teacher, Mrs. Kramer. Um, she had us write an uh, article during my high school year, and we, I, she had us pick a subject. We had a choice to pick whatever subject we wanted, and I picked a subject, and I wrote my article. She gave us um, the word count that we needed to meet, and I found myself um, having to shorten my article because I had so much to write. <laughs> and that's when I first discovered that, oh, maybe I do like to write. Um, but I wrote my article and that's what got me started. And what did you choose to write about? <laughs> I wrote about um, a sort of controversial issue at the time. Um, I wrote about AIDS and the the process that a person goes through from getting HIV to ending up uh, having symptoms and you have in a wheelchair and eventually passing away 
And the reason I chose that topic is because it was close to my heart because I had my grandfather's son pass away from that in 1995 in the height of the whole AIDS, HIV um, virus when it was a deadly disease. Um, and how old were you? I was, I think I was like 14 or 15 at the time. Was, and I remember I was in ninth grade when I got the, and I was in school. And that's when I got the call from my mom saying that we're going to have to leave because we have to go to New York. He, he passed away. Um, so you wrote before or after he passed the, the paper? I wrote it after he passed. He had already passed um, a couple of years because he passed in my um, freshman year in high school when I wrote the paper my senior year. And in, in my world, I think by you writing that paper helps you grieve and heal. So at 14, I think that was a very a lovely gift. Oh, thank you. <laughs> For you oh. to be that wise at that age and then be able to express it on paper. And that's what writing is all about, is about expressing yourself, educating, informing people of, about maybe something that's dear to you, which I think that would have been a 14. If I was a teacher, I'd be super, super blown away. <laughs> you know, oh, thank you. I hope she was, yeah. but I did get a good grade for it. So, um, but it was something that I, I felt passionate about. And I, I felt like so many people were at that time. And even to still to, to today, some people are just, um, uh, were so, they weren't knowledgeable enough about the disease and the process and just assumed so many things. And they would just like uh, overreact in certain situations. And um, it's good to know. I mean, it's the more that you know, I think the more that you know, the better you react to the situation. And, so. and that's because we were talking on the phone and how your son is very inquisitive and he, and he has he has all these questions. I'm very inquisitive. I used to get in trouble because I asked too many questions. Asked the, the, the pastor at the church. He didn't like me very much. I had too many questions. But the, the fact that you can sit down with your son and, and be inquisitive with them and learn, and that's, kind of, that's what your book is about. It's about teaching. Yes. And my son is, he is a little chatterbox. He likes to talk <laughs> and he likes to ask a lot of questions. Um, and I try to encourage that. I don't want to tell him not to ask questions because I think there's no stupid questions. There's no, you should ask. And when you tell a kid or somebody, you know, that's, a, that's not a good question to ask. Um, it discourages them from asking a question and they might need to ask the question just so they could understand whatever you're trying to tell them or teach them or even to even keep them out of trouble curiosity. yeah curiosity is, is a wonderful thing and you know when you're told not to um, ask questions or express yourself then you lose the ability to do that and then you become led around so yeah. inquisitive kid that's how I even start my book about an inquisitive child who uh, talked too much and had too much whatever and the parent was telling him to shut up shut up shut up and that blocks your throat chakra it also blocks your imagination and your creativity so it's important that as parents even though they might drive us crazy sometimes because my yes. granddaughter's six and I remember my grandson when he was like six or so they're so funny though too if you can sit down and like actually educate them on something they're going to educate you at the same time <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yes, you can learn a lot from kids. And I know my life has changed ever since I've had my child. Like I sometimes reflect on how what I used to think parent, um, parenthood was and what it really is. It's like two different things. And you don't really see it, I don't think, until you actually, well, you see it, but you don't really understand the full um, the full spectrum of it until you actually have a child and you have to take care of them the whole the whole life every day <laughs> from morning to night and they do drive you crazy I'm not gonna lie they do and you know you you have to have lots of patience and practice patience that's what I try to do and that's what they teach and, us uh, is patience right yeah. my daughter loves me more than ever she's like now now more than ever with two kids she's just like I love you. How did you do it? You're the best mom ever. I mean, and I had three kids. So yeah, I think parenting or parenthood is, is the greatest teacher of all. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so you decided to write a book. Now, mm-hmm. what was your process? How, how did you start writing the book? Well, um, I decided to write the book because my son, like I said, he likes to ask a lot of questions. So every time he has something a new toy he loves trucks so he went through a stage when he has a whole bunch of trucks he wants this truck that truck and he would um get me to sit down with him to play with the trucks and he always asked me questions well what's this truck name what does this what does this truck do and um so that's what got me to write the book ethan's truck learning adventures and it's just ethan um just showing his truck collection to other kids and kind of going like back and forth, sort of like a little conversation um, with the reader, just telling them a little bit about each truck, what they do. So we have like a fire truck, talks about how fire trucks are usually red, have a fire hose and firefighters usually find on the fire truck and they turn off fires. Um, so he just asks a lot of questions. And I find it's a good way for them to learn. Kids like to learn. Um, kids learn different ways. But my child, I know, likes to learn by playing with things. And um, so I will play with his trucks and I will teach him stuff. And that's how the book started. So inst- I decided to write the book after that so I I just I got on my computer one day I said well let me just write the book and just write about trucks and then I put it together rewrite it and um, just get little facts about each little truck like a tow truck what does it do (laughs) and um, and I also wanted to Brian I also wanted to expand his learning and by teaching them about different occupations that um, are related to those trucks, because he might not see all those kind of trucks in our in our town. Yeah, in the or, um, I just remember so. Ethan; he went through that whole phase and then of trucks, but because mm-hmm. we just put him in a bag, and you know, I, I saw how many trucks he had. I, I brought him to actually we were staging houses, and I use him in the houses for staging houses. People love the trucks and stuff, but I just forgot that whole stage of how boys love, I think boys, all kids love tangible, mm-hmm. uh, uh, hands-on. As much as, you know, some kids are playing videos and stuff, they really need that 
physical, uh, uh, tangible thing to to be real, to teach them. And that's why we do buy them all those things, so that they have them. Like you said, it might not be in your neighborhood. You might not see, I don't even see uh, fire trucks very often anymore. Or police officers, what's going on? I don't know. But yeah, that's so. And then, uh, do you think you'll do this book in Spanish? Um, I'm, I'm planning on it. I'm planning on translating it. And I'm also planning on doing a second book. Um, I'm making it like a series. But yes, I am planning on doing it in Spanish. <laughs> and so but first, I want to finish the second book because I'm uh, almost done with the second book, writing the second book. And I have another book that's coming out. Um, so so the gateways, the floods open. You're, you're writing now and you do speak Spanish. Uh, Costa Rica, yes, I Costa do. Rica? Are you from Costa Rica? No, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. I was so close. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My friend's from Costa Rica. Um, so your son, is he speaking both um, languages? He's starting to, yes. He's starting to speak both languages, uh, Spanish and English. Um, he's learning a lot, of, a lot of Spanish from school. And he comes home and he says, Mommy. Like the other day he came home and he said, Mommy. Do you know how to count from one to 20 in Spanish? I was like, yes, do you? <laughs> yeah. And he just starts counting one to 20 in Spanish. So he's excited about it now. But he wasn't always excited about it. It's just now he thinks it's cool. They just go through phases. And I think the younger you are, the easier it is to, to learn two languages. Or I think so. I learned my um, both English and Spanish at a young age. And I think it was very helpful for me to learn it at a young age versus being older. Uh, I think once you're older, it's a little harder to pick up languages. Um, but I learn both at the same time. I can not say anything, but, but I know what people are saying. I did take like four years of Spanish. So I was like, but it, it's useful. And I, like I was telling you, there's times because I do know how to help people that speak Spanish. I'm not, I can't conjugate verbs. I don't know how to, you know that part? But it's been fun. Like, I always work at a sp someplace where um, they'll call me out and, and ask me, PL, is that skin? Vino? Yeah. V yeah, v yeah. I don't know. I know what face cream was anyways. Crema. Something like that. <laughs> but yeah, I think I, the process of writing a book is, for me, when I wrote my book, it was, one, I kind of figured out how I, I think. You know, you're, you're taking the way, like, you, you, if you're bilingual, you might think different because you're doing something different in your mind than maybe me. Uh, I'm very, um, I see things. So it's like I had to see it before I could write it, which is really, I don't know. Is that how you work it? I don't know. Is that how, how people write? Um, that's how I write. Like, I see scenes and then I figure out the words for the scene and I, I'm very good at like, I'm sorry about that. No um, I imagined a conversation and I imagine what the person's going to respond back to me, which is probably not something I should admit, <laughs> but like I imagined the whole conversation and that's how it starts. And then I start writing it down. So I write each person's part based on uh, what I hear, I see in my mind and I hear like them saying. 
because I kind of have the idea of what each character's personality is because I base my characters on you know people people that I know or people that um, I've been around or exposed to so well I think that the beauty of it is because I, I can watch you right now just like I was uh watching uh Charisse you see pictures in your mind's eye and the way you're you know you're starting to use your hands and everything so I help mm -hmm. people with writer block writer's block and mm -hmm. normally if they if they look down and shake their head, I know that those upper chakras, that creativity, the imagination, the inspiration is blocked. So then I give them exercises to to open those chakras. But it's fun mm -hmm. to watch you guys because I can tell you look up. You almost if you know someone's imaginative or their brow chakra is open because your eyes are open, but you're seeing pictures on in your forehead. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, It makes sense to me. Yeah. Yes. And that's what our kids are born with, and they have that. And then if we're a parent that says, yes, ask questions, yes, let's color, let's read, and, and, and you have those conversations, then the kid keeps looking up and having all this imagination. Now, if you're told to be quiet and not to have ideas, or that's a dumb idea, all those things that people say, then the child starts to look down. And when the child starts to look down and shake his head and say things like, I don't know, that's mm -hmm. when we're in deep trouble. So those kids are the ones I get into art and music. And then we paint pretty pictures in their head about what they can be when they grow up or anything like that. Like uh, with Sharice, you have to see it first. And then that's kind of how writers get back into writing or uh, like music or books again. And Anthony Manna, who we're doing the chakra classes with, he mm -hmm. wasn't looking up when I first met him. He was looking down and he was uh, trained to be a priest. So they taught you to look down. Um, actually and, and just shake your head and, and not not look up so it's been really fascinating to kind of be with authors because I've been with musicians forever but to see authors and, and touch their heart look up start moving their hands about because it just means all your chakras are spinning I can't get away from it I just love the work I do because if you can get kids to look up again then they're going to be writers they're going to think for themselves they're going to do better in school so really you know your books is just a little bit of a seed of what we need for our kids, which is for them to be inquisitive. And maybe they don't sit in their chair all day and do nothing because we need to do physical things with them. You know, like you getting on the floor, playing with the trucks. Yeah. And I play my, my son's very imaginative. He had people at daycare thinking that he had a pony and a ranch one time. <laughs> and there's, they come asking my husband say, Oh, I guess you're going to the ranch this this weekend to play with the pony and my husband's like we don't have a pony <laughs> or a ranch <laughs> yeah and he likes to draw monsters and back of his school work <laughs> yeah. i don't know I, I just know my granddaughter i play barbies oh and my 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 son grandson babe blades there's these little things and i love going to the house with the world the way it is i love going there sitting down and playing Beyblades, blades <laughs> you know it's so silly i don't know if you guys it's like tops and you you hit, yeah, hit each nice. other and they fall apart or uh, just the whole uh, uh the barbie thing and dressing them because when i get in there they're always naked right so i gotta, <laughs> I gotta dress these dolls but it's so um tactile that's the word i want to use it's it's tactile and instead of us sitting down watching a movie which we do you know and they try to teach me how to play video games which i'm horrible at but it's just something fun and uh, books, how important books are for children to sit down and cuddle, right? Because they're mm -hmm. sitting next to you getting that, that touch they need. 
and having you speak to them in a, in a lovely way by reading them a book. And they enjoy it. Even though they say they don't, because <laughs> they enjoy that personal time and they learn so much and they understand. And once they start enjoying that, they're going to want it more. And they'll, even if you're busy, they'll figure out a way to get you to them and trick you into giving them more and more touch. At least my son does. Is He's just like, um, he'll find something. He'll be like, mommy, come over here. Let's sit down. Can you help me with this? Or he will hide a toy so that I play hide and seek with him. And um, so they're, they're, I like to, but I like to encourage that. Um, and now more and, than ever, that's what kids need. Mm-hmm. Instead of, you know, a computer and being isolated, which we all know what that was like, but being with mm-hmm. other people, um, how do you say it? Like I do Reiki, hands-on healing, which is energy work. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like maybe, you know, when you're, if, um, uh, Sharice is helping a dog pass over. She'd be touching the dog and that energy about it. There's, you know, breastfeeding versus a bottle fed baby. I mean, we mm-hmm. need human contact. So getting on the floor with your kids, playing, reading them a book, coloring, all those things mm-hmm. are essential. Yeah, and it does. And it also helps with motor skills and vocabulary skills because they, they're interacting more with you. They're speaking more. They're learning how to use their words especially at a young age, like my son, he's only six. So he's still learning how to create sentences and stuff like, and learning how to spell and read. (laughs) (laughs) So it it helps with all that. And I I know it's helped, it's helped him a lot when we play games with him and it helps him in school. It makes him better human beings all along. So really tactile but also uh reading and and getting your kids into the the arts is super important Uh, if people want to contact you how can they get your book they could get my book at amazon.com by typing ethan's truck learning adventures and it will pop up um you can go to my website authorcjordan.com authorcjordan Jordan. that's easy (laughs) I try to make it easy. And then you have a little bit more things going on. So you could check out um, uh, mm-hmm. Chris's website, authorcjordan.com. And it's Ethan's Truck Learning Adventures. Yeah. Yay. Thank you for joining me this morning. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yay. Well, what do I have going on, Benny Mathers? Uh, that's a good question. Why don't you to let us know? Well, let's see. I'm still doing the retreats. Okay. Um, let's see. I've been swimming every day. I cannot believe this weather. I'm at the beach because no one's there. And I feel like I'm in Kauai all of a sudden. I don't even think I need to go till maybe January. I was thinking earlier, but nope, this weather is amazing. Uh, but I do have my retreats. It's a four hour retreat and you come out to Whidbey Island from the Clinton Ferry or uh, Port Townsend, or you can take the bridge deception pass. People come out. We do some Reiki. We do the chakra reading. I take you to a Hindu Hindu temple. I am in Hawaii. Oops. I take you to the labyrinth. And then we go to the beach. And then we'll go down Langley, have some um, lunch or dinner, depending on what time. And now the sun's going down earlier. So if you want to do the dinner, then we can go watch the sun go down. Uh, it's just kind of having a, a tour guide for your spirit, a travel agent for your soul. Uh, Woodby Island is it's a perfect time off season to come here or come there. But um, I wouldn't invite you in August. Don't come in August. 
But also, I have uh, my- Are you saving it for something special? August, you can't get on a ferry if your sure. life depends on it. Yeah, it's true. It's very busy around here. Oh, it's I could barely leave in August. Very, very busy. It's too much. But also, I have uh, the Anthony L. Mana on YouTube. Our Energy Matters with Anthony Mana and Dina Marie. Like I said, we're at our 62nd one. I've had so much fun. In fact, if I'm having a bad day, I go and actually watch myself <laughs> because he's so enamored with the chakras and what he's learned. And then he's, he writes these nice writings. He calls me a celestial alchemist. And it's the celestial arts. He comes up with these things. He's a, a professor of literature, and he comes up with this stuff that just it really warms my heart and blows my mind. And I can't believe it's been two years every week having a conversation um, in Iowa with Dr. Anthony Elmana. And his book is Lucas and the Game of Chance. So if you want to reach out to me, it's dina-marie.com. And you can see what I got going on. Or you can go to Lift Your Spirits with Dina Marie. And then you can see the um, Our Energy Matters. I do one a week and I post it. And then you can listen to it on YouTube, Anthony L. Manna. Well, thank you, Benny Mathers. You're welcome. Woo, I'm going to go uh, to the beach. Ooh, sounds <laughs> All right, join us next week for more people, places, and activities that will lift your spirits. Just ticks for you and you have to believe